A remarkable story tonight, a tremendous step forward in a young man's life as he becomes a champion of the Collingwood Football Club. Collingwood done that well. Well done, White. Beams cutting it back. Let's go. Deep to try and take Chapman back. Wits did well. Beams on the overlap. Goes with the right boot and puts it through. Clever by Wits. Finished by Beams. He's a goal kicker, Beams. He averages just over a goal a game, which is pretty good going for a genuine midfielder who gets around about the 28 disposal so often. He struck that well and got it home. He's kicked two. The winner of the Nigel Lappin Trophy is Dane Beams. The winner of the E.W. Copeland Trophy for 2012 with a total of 205 votes is Dane Beams. There are fears tonight for the health of troubled Collingwood star Dane Beams. The Premiership player was knocked out after crashing his car into a power pole in Melbourne's East. I've had anxiety disorder most of my life and it's always been a difficult game day like trying to control that. The year that he died every single game, I think for six, for six same weeks every single game, I'd melt down on the, the, the day before a game and like. He returned home to Brisbane to spend time with his dying father and captained the Lions before rejoining the Black and White Army in 2019. He has nailed it and they get around him. Welcome back. I am Sam Thiday and this is my podcast, We Are Human. Now, my next guest is Dane Beams. For the people out there that don't know you, Dane played for uh, Collingwood from 2009 to 2014, uh, played for the uh, mighty Brisbane Lions 2015 to 2018, also captained them in 2017, back to Collingwood where he finished off his career only just recently. I appreciate having you on the podcast, uh, really looking forward to hearing your story mate and uh, I always like to start, you know, early days of your, of your life and um, married now, got, uh, got two young kids. Yeah, so... Been a bit of a different sort of journey, I guess, for me into um, the AFL system. I guess when you talk about growing up, um, I was actually I was born in Victoria, so I was born in Yarrawonga, which is on the border of New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah, basically spent the first sort of five years of life there, and from that point, mum and dad had some problems with their marriage, and I guess to try and salvage that, they uh, they decided to make the move to Queensland, the Gold Coast, and yeah, from there I spent the next. 13 years on the coast, just doing the things that normal Victorians would do. So I was a bit out of the ordinary in terms of, you know, I love my cricket and love my AFL, yeah. um, which is like, you know, the majority of Victorian kids, that's pretty much, that's, that's what they get brought up with. So well, you, you, would have, you would have stuck out like a sore thumb in, in Queensland because this uh, rugby league territory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually went to, um, I actually went to Palm Beach Grumman, which was a sporting excellence school and, I had AFL as part of the program, but it was, you know, it was predominantly sort of owned by the rugby league boys. And there was like a small little group of AFL players that were, <laughs> yeah, we weren't the most popular around the school. Were there any uh, rugby league rat bags there when you when you were going to Palm Beach Crumman? I remember Darius Boyd. Yeah. He might have been two years older than me though at the stage. He, so. he graduated uh, 2005. Yeah, he must have been like sort of year 12 when I was just sort of starting. So I do remember his face a few times. You know, when you're a year eight, you sort of remember those older sort of kings of the high school. So yeah, and rugby league was obviously a huge part of that school. So yeah, they were sort of yeah, the cool crew of the of the school. 
early days, did you ever dabble in uh, a little bit of rugby league or it was just strictly uh, AFL and cricket? No, no, I actually did. I, um, you know, when I was going through primary school, AFL wasn't even a thing. Like, yeah. I played school footy, rugby league. I actually wasn't too bad. I played on a wing and didn't mind it. It was pretty good. Like, but, yeah, AFL was always my passion. Growing up on the Gold Coast, uh, that surfy lifestyle, did you enjoy yourself uh, living on the coast as, as a young kid? Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, looking back on it, it taught me a lot about life. Like, I probably needed to get out of there when I did just because, you know, I, I had some friends that were probably, you know, not sort of heading down the right path and, you know, I wanted to pursue something professional. So it was a big change, obviously, you know, moving away from the parents and, yeah, going to a state where it was just, you know, crazy footy. Like, you know, I'd gone from a state where you're lucky to get one sort of news snippet each week about footy and then you sort of move to to Queensland it's probably like you know playing rugby league in Queensland you know it's what it's like playing AFL in Victoria so it's and then getting drafted to the biggest club in Australia like it's pretty overwhelming and then all of a sudden you're rubbing shoulders with guys you just I was actually an Essendon supporter so I actually hated Collingwood Um, (laughs) yeah a lot of the players that I was sort of rubbing shoulders with I was used to sort of cursing them on the TV and calling them all sorts of shit under (laughs) so it was um yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Family dynamic, uh, mum and dad around. Uh, got a brother, you said. Any other siblings? So I've got two sisters. One of my sisters has a different father. My relationship with all my siblings is is different. Like it varies. Um, it's getting a lot better. Like as I've sort of straightened myself out a little bit, my relationships have um, yeah benefited as a uh, as a result of that. Growing up, um, I can say myself, I absolutely idolised my dad, but uh, your dad was someone uh, really special in your life as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, ha- I had a unique, um, a unique sort of relationship with dad. Um, yeah, obviously when mum and dad split, uh, it was you know pretty early on in my life, so I don't remember really a whole lot about it. But I think subconsciously, um, I have, and I've, I've carried a lot of that through my life and a lot of my beliefs. Now, particularly around women, and that's not you know to say that I'm, you know, I'm sex or I've got anything against women. But a lot of my beliefs, I guess, I held a lot of resentment towards my mother. And um, as a result of that, you know, I, I probably sort of formed those beliefs around women in general. And that was really formed around, you know, I really wanted to live with dad when I when they split. And dad had a few personal issues himself. You know, he, he, he really enjoyed a beer. And, you know, he probably wasn't fit early days to, to be able to sort of be taking care of me full time. So... Mum sort of held me back from that a little bit and, um, you know, doing some of the therapy and the work that I've done now, I can you certainly understand why and obviously being a parent myself now as well, you can sort of understand, you know, why she did that. But as a kid, you don't understand that. It's just, you know, mum's holding you back from doing something that you want to do and, you know, dad probably gets put on the pedestal and mum's just doing the right thing by me. So, yeah, for many years I probably struggled to have a great relationship with mum like it's it's certainly getting a lot better now the more I understand things and I've yeah I've got a lot of respect for what she did for us as kids but I think I always idolised dad like just sort of it was always just the be all and end all for me like he couldn't do everything wrong and he was someone I just sort of attached myself to with sport like cricket footy like he was always the one that would take me to those things he coached my cricket team you know, he was the one I'd always digest games with. He was someone that was, yeah, really special to me and um, probably only been really the last sort of six months that I've sort of been able to actually really talk about him, to be honest. So, um, 
yeah, it was obviously challenging sort of circumstances that we'll probably get into a little bit later, but... Um, You get into the uh, AFL draft the following year and you get picked up by Collingwood. How's that whole experience? You think it's someone's taking the piss out of you. Yeah. Um, you're getting phone calls from, you know, Eddie McGuire and you know, these sorts of guys that have been around a long time and they're big personalities and it's, yeah, it's a pretty surreal experience. But it's like within three days you're on a plane, you're, you're heading to Victoria to start basically your career. So it's it happens really fast and... You know, I remember my first sort of couple of weeks, I struggled a lot just with a bit of homesickness. Um, but guys, they, they invest, like clubs invest a lot into it now and, and make sure that young guys are always looked after and feel pretty comfortable. You talk about homesickness, I can definitely relate with that. You know, my first um, kind of experience at the Brisbane Broncos was, you know, graduating high school, coming straight down to Brisbane, which was a massive town compared to Townsville. I was living with an elderly couple at the time and just wasn't home. How was that experience for you? Do you, yeah. do you move into a house or you, you, you move into a unit by yourself? What, what's the deal there? So Collingwood had a couple of um, couple of houses that were basically shared with all the, the new draftees. So, yeah, I lived in the house with, I think, three or four others. They had basically like a minder, so someone who would live in the house, I think, rent-free. That was sort of part of the part of the gig that they sort of didn't have to pay rent. They just had to sort of make sure that we were all living professionally and eating well and doing all those sorts of right things and just teaching us certain things about sort of being independent. Do you debut in your, your first season at Collingwood or is it your second season? Yeah, first season, second game. So it was round two of the year, yeah. How old were you then, 18, 19? Uh, I was 19, yeah. So things started happening for you pretty quickly at Collingwood, didn't they? Footy started like to kick off and I was you know playing quite early. So the first game was a whirlwind. I was actually warming up to play a practice game in Geelong and one of our players got injured so I was only a late call up so like my parents and that couldn't even come. From 50, oh gee, that is a wonderful kick. Gets his first goal in AFL football. Dane Beams taken number 29 in last year's draft is impressed through the preseason looked as though in the preseason he was here to stay looked as though he belonged and he's certainly shown that and a bit more this afternoon it was probably a good thing in the way because like I'll, i mean all players get nervous for games but the two hours before a game i used to sort of explain as the worst two hours of my week i just used to feel so like anxious and nervous and like i just feel so drained within the first five minutes of games like it's really hard you're playing regular uh, AFL and then uh, 2010, massive year for you. You win a premiership with Collingwood. You talk about being nervous yeah, for yeah, a week-to-week game. How we, how nervous were you leading in that grand final? I reckon I got more nervous as I got older and, like you know, there was more expectation on me to perform. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you just sort of, I guess, you're floating through and you don't really, I don't know, you just play footy. Like, when, when you get a little bit older and you actually start to realise, you know, what's on the line and, you know, you're actually, you know, starting to get paid some decent money and, you know, you feel that pressure of having to perform. Wish I remember more about it. Um, I know I didn't play well. Um, maybe that's why I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to forget it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I played a um, 2006 grand final with uh, the Brisbane Broncos. I was 21 and I, 
I was just rolling with the punches. We had some gun players in our team, and I was happy to be along for the ride. And then, you know, later on in your career, I was you know, hoping and wishing we'd make another grand final, make another one in 2015, and the bloody Cowboys beat us by one point. Yeah, I can understand yeah. and see where you're coming from. But you talk about that pressure you put on yourself as you got older. Is there a reason uh, why you put that pressure on yourself, or, or can you pinpoint a moment or a reason why you, you would do that? Uh, I've always had like high expectations of myself, probably to the detriment of my own sort of mental health, to be honest. Like I really struggle to sort of, um, I guess, acknowledge, you know, achievements that I have. Like I brush over and it sort of makes me uncomfortable talking about like achievements and even my life now, you know, like I haven't, I haven't had a punt, you know, for like 18 months and, you know, I've been clean now I'm off drugs for oh, since February. So, and, and I really struggle to sort of um, talk about that, like, it's actually a good thing. Like I talk about it, like, you know, I shouldn't have got myself in that position anyway. Like, yeah. but you know, these things happen in life. Um, and I've always been an anxious person to answer your question um, about, you know, getting nervous before games. Yeah, I've always been anxious, but um, yeah, it's sort of that fear of failure. Well, after the 2010 uh, grand final, you actually have a few cracking years after that. 2012 was a massive year for you. 2012, 2013, some great stats there for you. But um, mm. how are you handling the, the, the roller coaster of AFL at this point in time? Early 2012, one of our key midfielders in Luke Ball went down with an ACL injury. And I was on the bench at the time it happened. And um, I was like, well, this is so unfortunate for him. But, you know, one door closes, another one opens. And, yeah. I think the next morning, or oh, sorry, the Monday morning, I uh, went to our midfield coach and I just said, like, I want his spot. I just want to play there. Just give us a crack. That was really the making of my career. Like, that was the year that I really broke out. And you just get so much confidence from that, like, because I knew I could do it. A remarkable story tonight. A tremendous step forward in a young man's life as he becomes a champion of the Collingwood Football Club. The winner of the E.W. Copeland Trophy for 2012 with a total of 205 votes is Dane Beams. To my dad, my mum, um, two of the, the most important people in my life. Uh, they've been through me um, you know, every, every step of the way and I've put them through some shit in the last two years and, and I'll vow to never do that again. Uh, 2014, you moved back to Brisbane or back to Queensland. Um, yeah. What was that decision like for you? Oh, it was really difficult because I've always sort of thought of myself as being a pretty loyal person and I've always been, you know, that way towards my family and ultimately that was what sort of drove me back to Queensland. So it was, it was difficult because I'd made a lot of friends at Collingwood and we played off in the finals that year that I left. So we're still, you know, thereabouts and... You know, I was either going back to the Gold Coast Suns and Brisbane were right down the bottom of the ladder. So I knew I was going back to a team that was struggling. But at the end of the day, for me, it was, you know, just about being closer to dad because dad was sick. And through that year, that last year of my, me playing, like he'd had a few operations and yeah, he had a few doctor's appointments. And, you know, someone always needed to be with dad because he just wouldn't ask the questions. But like he would never ask the doctors or anything. So like we always had to do that. It was too hard to do that from... Victoria. So at the end of the day, I made the decision, yeah, to head back. And when he passed, it was my time in Brisbane was done. 
it was a strange move. Like obviously going from, you know, a big club to a smaller club, copped a lot of abuse. And I think that took a toll on me, like looking back on it. Collingwood faithful, uh, they're pretty cutthroat, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, getting a lot of abuse when you sort of know deep down why you're doing it and then you're hearing a lot of the things about potentially why you're leaving and you know that they're not true, it, it, it sort of does hurt you a little bit. 2018, mate, um, that was a, a pretty tough year for you, wasn't it? That was when I really started to um, really started to feel like uh, things were sort of going downhill for me. Um, at the time, I just did anything to to try and um, to try and deal with what was going on. Um, that was when Dad was most sick, so Dad died in late Feb. He lived at our place for sort of the last six weeks until he went into palliative care. So. That was pretty like full on and demanding as well. Like my wife was pregnant at the time, yeah. um, so it was just a like a, a massive, yeah, emotional roller coaster for us. I wouldn't have changed it. You know, Dad was comfortable living with us. Um, loved his granddaughter at the time, so Ruby was you know our firstborn. So she would always sort of get him up and about a little bit. He couldn't really do much um, towards the end because yeah, it had just physically sort of eaten him. It was a hard thing to watch, to be honest. Like that was sort of the hardest part, I reckon. Like just actually sort of watching someone and seeing, like you, I'd always understood cancer, like, but I'd never really thought like how bad it could get. Like, I, I, I never really understood how bad, how quick it gets people as well. Like he was told in November of 2017 that he had three years to live, and then. The appointment in um, December after that, it went from three years to one year. And then in January, it went from three years to six months. And then his next one was six months to three months. And then he died within four months. So, yeah, it was pretty quick. It's horrific to see that sort of shit, to be honest. And then having to do things like, you know, change dad's sort of nappies and like, because he couldn't have control over his bowels. So he was shitting himself and doing all those sorts of things that, yeah, you just never think that you're going to be doing to your parents, but we just tried to make it as comfortable for him as possible. And the, the year that he died, every single game, I think for six for six eight weeks, every single game, I'd melt down on the the, the day before a game, and like you know, sometimes my wife would have to drive down to the park to literally get me and take me home because I'd just have meltdowns. Um, it was just something about game day that really triggered off. Like I, I didn't want to play. Like every week, I didn't want to play. You're definitely juggling at this point in time. Um, you know, you're having to look after your father, got a young family, and still trying to uh, have a professional uh, AFL career. How are you at this point in time? I was just trying to like hold things up, I guess. What I was doing in the end, like to try and deal with things, ended up causing me a lot more problems. Yeah. Um, at the time, I just didn't think anything of it putting a bed on or, or taking a pill like to to get through like was just literally what I was doing to, to get through I guess when you're in that situation um, you're not really thinking about like what it's doing to your mental health like you're just you're literally trying to cope and grieve and and I was just doing anything I could to avoid that to be honest like because it was uncomfortable like and when people are uncomfortable they try and steer away from things like or they do something else and I guess that's why so many people out there battle with addictions. It's because there's underlying issues. Um, you know, there's there's other things going on in their life. 
most people don't just have an addiction. Like, you know, they, they've, they've, they've got the addiction from something that's gone on in their life or something traumatic or, you know, something they're just avoiding. When you're in addiction, like drugs and alcohol and gambling, they, they become your number one priority. Yeah. You head back to um, Collingwood in 2019 and you leave Brisbane. How's that move for you? Yeah, hard because... I was leaving a club that I felt like I invested a whole lot into. Yeah. Um, but really, and it came back to the same thing as why I left, what was going to be best for my family. And in many ways, I was losing a lot of passion for footy because um, you know, obviously there was a strong link between footy and my dad and things just didn't feel the same once he'd passed away. And yeah, I tried to, you know, thought maybe if I got back to Victoria where it all started and been a big footy state, that would sort of reignite that spark in me. But I carried some things across from Brisbane that just because you leave the state or go somewhere different, those things are still going to be there with you unless you deal with them. And uh, I didn't. Progressively, things got worse where, you know, I ended up in a rehab for for three weeks in about June of 2019. And then I had another few stays in different rehabs after that. So, you know, I've been in and out of rehab the last year and, you know, learned a lot from those experiences as well. Mate, um, twenty twenty has been a crazy year for everyone. But uh, February this year, you you're involved in a car accident. Uh, I think I've heard you say you know, in a previous interview that um, it was a bit of a cry for help. That was make or break. I think for me, like it was like you know, I can either keep going down the path that I was going down. The way I was going, there was going to be things you know, like I could potentially overdose and die. Um, and it was a silly thing to do. Like I would never encourage anyone to do what I did, but some reason in that moment it felt like the best thing to do i didn't want to hurt myself didn't want to harm myself and you know that's why i only hit the pole at a certain speed like you know i could have gone a lot quicker airbags cushioned the blow to dane beams as the headlight on his silver kia suv smashed back into its bonnet colliding with a power pole directly opposite whitefriars college the Collingwood superstar was alone in the car when it swerved off Park Road at a quarter to five yesterday afternoon. He was taken to Maroondah Hospital in a stable condition. Beams, who turned 30 on Wednesday, won a premiership with the Magpies in 2010. He returned home to Brisbane to spend time with his dying father. He was hospitalised in September after taking pain medication. In December, he announced an indefinite break from football to focus on his mental health. Collingwood has acknowledged that its star was involved in a low-speed crash. Police are investigating. I just wanted to let people know that I'd had enough and this was this was it for me. Like, I just didn't want to do it anymore. The amount of energy I was burning to try and sort of keep up and feed my addiction was just becoming too much of a challenge and just wanted it gone, but... It's just so hard. It's just not as easy as clicking your fingers and saying it's gone. Like, you know, there's actually, when you start taking drugs, there's a physical, you know, sort of addiction that takes place and there's actually a change in your chemistry and your brain where your body actually needs it to function. So I was just taking it really, not even to get high. It was just to actually function day to day and do the things I needed to do. And it was just becoming, you know, way too hard to keep up with. So, yeah, once I crashed the car, I was... That was the last time I've taken drugs. So ended up back in rehab for another week or two, I think it was. And, yeah, really got some help. I see an addiction specialist now once a month. It was definitely challenging. Like there's obviously the physical withdrawal process that you go through, yeah. um, which which can be helped. Like obviously I was in hospital at the time, so that was 
um, yeah, that was beneficial being in hospital going through that process because they can give you things to, to help ease those withdrawals because they're nasty withdrawals um, when you're getting off opioids. They're, uh, they don't take long to get you hooked um, and the more you're on them, the longer um, it can take to get off them. So once you feel like you're on top of it, I think the real work starts then, like, you know, getting trust back from people, uh, lost friends over it. That's something that I've got to live with. And it's, it's still something that sits uncomfortably with me, but end of the day, I've actually, like I gained some friends, you know, you find, you, you do find out who's in your corner and yeah. who really has your back when shit gets tough. Um, and I gained some friends that I actually didn't think were those people for me. Um, so lost some friends, gained some friends, but the, the, the hardest part was obviously hurting the people that I love, like my wife and my kids. Like that's something that I'll, I'll spend the rest of my life just trying to make it up to them I feel terrible about the whole experience and how they weren't number one twenty twenty uh you knocked the head on your on your AFL career it's been something that's been such a massive part of your life a constant in your life you have this car accident is that one of the the hardest decisions or is it the one of the best decisions you've made Oh, to be honest, so for the for my life, it was an easy decision. Like AFL footy wasn't wasn't helping me. Like you know, I had other things going on, yes, but um, I feel like some of those things that were going on were caused by you know the pressures of footy and just not wanting to face that anymore and the constant hysteria around Collingwood and you know its players and you know like it's, it just gets it gets to a point where it's just it wears you out. In the end, it was something that I just didn't want to do at all. You hear about athletes sort of getting to the point where they know that's the end. And I think that was, yeah, I, I felt like it was the right time. I've always been pretty open and I've always tried to use my, my social platform as a, as a positive thing for, for people out there struggling. And I used it at that time. I was sort of promoting how art was like really helping my mental health and people started offering to buy that, buy the artwork. And I guess that was when really the business started like, you know, I didn't didn't sort of I haven't borrowed any money or anything for for the business. Like a lot of people start businesses by borrowing. Like I haven't started with anything. Like I started with literally selling a few paintings, and it's um you know it's grown into what it is today. Now we like we manufacture our own products and we sell our own products and still do all the artwork. And I think that really sort of that part of my life was starting to take over from footy. Yeah. Like so that that probably made the transition the decision a little bit easier because I was something I was so passionate about and. It was something that was making me feel good, whereas footy wasn't making me feel good. Footy was making me feel a lot more stressed, a lot anxious. Uh, yeah, it was it was just not great for me. It was unfortunate that COVID hit because you know we were in the middle of like a negotiation, like back when it first started, and it just got put on the back burner when this virus hit and the AFL had to try and relocate everyone. So yeah, it, it took a lot longer than you know what I'd hoped, but you know things happen and. Yeah, you know, hopefully people can understand that. You know, we're going through a pandemic, and like things just don't get done straight away. There's obviously a negotiation that happened, and both parties were were happy with the outcome. And yeah, we move hands, we sh- we shake hands, and we move on. You know, respectfully, and yeah, I always like to think that I can walk back into the club and you know be a premiership player. You know, I'm on the on the rolls now at the club, like premiership player, best and fairest winner. So I'd like to think I'd always be a Collingwood sort of person. It's just. Um, Right now in my life, I just want to take some time out from footy and yeah, there'll be a time when I go back and watch the footy and 
you know, tell my son how good I was and <laughs> those sorts of things. Tell as many lies as you want. Um, yeah, exactly. So health of mind art is, is your new business and uh, you're absolutely loving it. I can tell by the T-shirt you're wearing now. You got, <laughs> it's you got a bit pain, dirty. <laughs> pain all over it, mate. Mm. You said art's been something massive for you, but it's also a great way and opportunity for you to give back, isn't it? Having purpose, like, outside of, you know, your everyday sort of job or whatever you're doing like for me it was fully and I never really had anything everything that I sort of had as a hobby was destructive like gambling just uh, it, it, that became my hobby and it was just a shit one to have like it's not a sustainable thing my mind used to race a million miles an hour and like when I do something you know artistic like it just sort of relaxes my mind it gives that my mind that Focus. mental breather yeah. yeah mental breather that it needs I wanted to sort of align ourselves with with a foundation of sorts. So we did some research and, um, yeah, we settled on um, the Love Me, Love You Foundation who, well, Lance Petroni actually used to play AFL footy, so he's the founder yeah. um, of the foundation. And so we sort of struck up that connection straight away based on our footy careers and um, just love the work that he does. Like it's you know, a, lot of, a lot of it's educational with kids and going out to schools and, you know, just sort of spreading awareness and, giving kids like some tools to be able to deal with some potential struggles or even if their friends are, you know, struggling that like some warning signs that they can pick up on and potentially ask questions about. So yeah, he, he does like some great work and it just seemed like a good fit. So, you know, every you know, every sale we make here we, we donate percentage back to, to Lance and the foundation and um, you know, Lance has been here and done a workshop, given a few chats and He's a really good speaker. He speaks really well, and he's got it. He's got his own story that's um, quite interesting. And you know, I'm just happy to be able to contribute to to his cause and, and what he's doing with his business. So it's um, yeah, we've formed a, a good relationship, and yeah, I think that's sort of what sort of you know blended into the name like health of mind. Like it was just about sort of giving your mind some healthy habits. It's really cool. Like I actually really enjoy hearing other people's stories and, and what they've had to overcome and just goes to show that you know everyone out there has a story to tell it's just you know about giving them the voice to do that and I think people always feel better about the fact that they can get their sort of story out they can talk to show a bit of vulnerability because that's often the hardest thing for people to do is to put yourself out there in front of people that you don't know and they get the opportunity to do that they're not forced to do it I guess the culture I'm setting here is like one where people feel comfortable enough to come and Obviously, they know my story because I've been pretty public about it. So they already feel a bit of connection there when they come here. And yeah. it's just nice to hear other people share their stories and then potentially pick up a, a new tool that they can implement into their life. We've got an upcoming episode uh, of this podcast with a, a young guy named Jaden Nicarima. And we sat down and we did the podcast. And at the end of it, he sat down and said, mate, if I only knew because he was a young guy coming through the ranks when I was still playing. And he said, if I only knew that you were going through these struggles when you were playing, I would have spoke up about my struggles. Do you think yeah. at some point in time you find yourself going back into the AFL system, maybe sharing your story, yeah. um, you know, especially with some of these young draftees that are coming yeah. through, um, maybe some of the young guys that are they're going to AFL clubs? Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. Like, And I mean, it'd be so, like, I mean, in your case, it'd be so beneficial for, for you to go and talk to, a lot of guys that probably look up to you and share your story because it's just, it's something so powerful in people being able to be vulnerable, as I said, and, and share their stories because it opens up the door for other conversations. Like I even remember when, it, when you put it down to like, even like when leadership spoken about, I think there's nothing more 
you know, powerful and there's no bigger form of leadership than for someone to, to show emotion and share a bit of themselves and put themselves on the line in front of their teammates because I've got the utmost respect for people that have been able to put their balls on the line and actually share about, like talk about their problems and put it out there for the world to listen to, but then actually sort of action things and actually make their lives better. And I think it's an area where the AFL can get a lot better because I think gambling within sport is such a big issue. Like, and it's just a trap, especially for younger guys. So I think it'd be really important for clubs to get players back in. I know I, I connected with um, an older player who was at Collingwood actually uh, years before I was there called Gavin Krasiska and he had some drug problems. So, and I'd never talked to Gav before before any of the stuff that was going on with me. But um, when I started talking to him, it, it's just something about being able to relate to someone, like and yeah. them being but them being able to listen to you and, and actually feel like you're being understood and not judged. The more people that talk about this sort of stuff, and the more time that clubs and the AFL and you know the rugby league, all these sorts of places invest in this area, I think the less sort of incidents that are going to happen where guys are out pierced and getting themselves into trouble like yeah that's a big byproduct of other things going on in other guys lives like that they haven't dealt with or haven't got to the bottom of so I definitely feel like there's there's a space and I'd love to eventually one day get back in I've got no credentials but I've got a lot of you know experience yeah. in terms of my own my own battles and sometimes that's more beneficial than anyone that's gone and studied it for four years and got a degree like some of the best advice I've got is from people that aren't trained or they aren't qualified. Lived experiences. Yeah, exactly yeah. right, yeah. You talk about lived experiences, um, you know, and, and everything's a, a lesson learned you, and you've had a, you know, a few ups and downs in your life, but time machine, go back in time, 2007, you're standing there in front of uh, young Dane Beams, 17 years of age, what do you say to him? I would say to him, you don't have to be someone you're not. You don't have to put on this facade and I look back at my football career and I think I was probably never in an environment that really suited me, like my personality, who I am, being around guy like 40, 50 guys with egos, like embrace who I am and I'd encourage, I guess, a lot more of trying to get to the bottom of my childhood because I, I really do feel like people's childhoods, if you think of a pet, they always say like, you know, your first... What you teach a dog in the first six months is going to be what they're like for the rest of their life. And it's like, you know, when you're growing up and you're learning all these things from your parents and you're seeing all these things. I still remember being at my my grandmother's funeral, so dad's mum's funeral. And the only thing I remember about the whole thing was my dad not crying. And, and I couldn't understand why my dad didn't cry at his own mum's funeral. There was no right or wrong there, but like, it's just interesting to me like to think back then I was already thinking about emotions but I was the emotions I guess you know I was being role modeled was one of you know men don't cry yeah. and I'm sure my dad was sad but I'm sure he just he was back at that in those old school days where you just don't you don't really cry I didn't really ever see him show that much emotion until he was dying like and he was quite scared and I think that's why like now I'm so open with my kids as well like I always ask them I only had my daughter who's four the other day you know tell me that she was feeling quite nervous about going to kindy and she was one certain kid there like she felt quite nervous around and like she actually had the conversation with me like she felt nervous and I just thought that was really cool to, for her to be able to sort of share that and have those conversations like when she's only four 
Yeah. And I just think it's a really good, you know, platform that we're setting as parents to be able to, to be able to show our kids that, you know, emotions are emotions. Like you feel them, everyone feels them and it's okay to express them and talk about them. It's more around what I do now as a father and how I role model this sort of stuff because, you know, that's what I want my kids to see. I want my kids to see that. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, um, you know, it's okay to be angry. Like the kids get angry as well and they get frustrated. They don't know how to show it. And it's like, it's okay to, you know, it's okay to be angry. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, trying to, you know, process that situation and how you can get better and deal with it better. I'll um, rewind back to the start, as I always like to do. Uh, Dane Beams, All-Australian, Premiership winner, captain at AFL club. Had a fantastic career, mate. But I think um, what you're doing off the field now and what you're doing with your life now is going to be uh, your legacy and the legacy you leave, mate. So I thank you very much for uh, sharing your story and, and hopefully uh, we can help uh, you know change one person's life, uh, if not more. But I reckon that's the key as well. Like You talk about things that you... And I mean, you achieved a lot on, in your career and what it comes down to is like, I, I feel so much better about being able to feel like I've had an impact on someone else's life in terms of like improving their quality of life. For me, it's just so much better than anything I did on a footy field. Like, I know I brought a lot of people joy when I was playing football, but to know I can sort of have a positive impact and help sort of someone along the way. And if you save one person's life, then I think that's better than anything was ever achieved on a footy field. Like, so satisfying, I reckon. And what you're doing now in terms of giving athletes a voice is, is really great. I'd just like to say thanks for having me on and just keep doing what you're doing because I think it's great. A remarkable story tonight. A tremendous step forward in a young man's life, Mr. Dane Beams.